Hi, everybody. This is Alex Barthet with the LeanZone.com podcast. Today, we have a guest on our podcast. Uh, her name is Sue Dyer. She helps folks solve construction disputes. How are you doing, Sue? I'm great. How are you, Alex? Great. Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and your organization? Well, thanks. Yeah, so I'm president of Orgmetrics, LLC, and we have been for 34 years working on helping construction teams work together so that their projects are on time and on budget, but also they have no claims at the end. And uh, we help them to improve their overall productivity as well with a process that we've created after working on over 4,000 projects that we call Structured Collaborative Partnering. So tonight, so today you're gonna tell us about the two steps you have uncovered that will prevent most construction disputes, right? Correct, correct. After working on literally thousands of projects, you begin to see a lot of patterns. And if people could just do these two things, you would probably prevent at least 80% of the claims that you end up having on your project. Wow, that's uh, it seems so simple, just two things, and I can solve almost every problem on my construction project. I, I can only imagine that our listeners are dying to hear what this is. So why yeah. don't you tell me? Simple, but not always easy. Uh, so the first, let me just give you the, the two principles, and as I give you each one, I'll tell you a little story about each one. So the first principle is that the absolute best dispute resolution process is to prevent the dispute in the first place. And that may seem very simplistic, but how many people on their projects are set up by either their contracts or the roles to actually have a dispute or to deal with it? And a, a lot of times we don't even understand exactly why we end up having these problems. Uh, for example, I worked on this really large project where they're building a, a building and it was, they're fairly way into it. Maybe I think they were about six months into the construction. They were past design into construction and everyone kept just fighting with each other. And it was just really playing out in the field with the inspectors, the foreman and the superintendent. And everyone would kept fighting. And so they, they called me and said, we really need help because this project is not gonna get built. Well, this was a design build project that sort of had a strange way that it was structured. So it was a developer that was building this project. He had hired the design builders. And then when it was all done, they were going to sell this building to the county. And so they, they thought, this is great. They had all the contracts in place. This is going to be wonderful. But the people in the field, they only knew how to do their job one way, which was on a low bid environment. And they didn't understand this structure, like who's the owner, who owns this. So they've really entrenched themselves into really making sure everything was done in the way that they were used to and that they kept playing out their role. Well, they would talk about it and they talked about how this is how it's supposed to happen but nobody realized that both sides weren't on the same page. And so this played out for six months 
to where it was really literally a war going on. And I see this on so many projects. You guys probably do too, where there's really a war playing out and really there's somewhere along the way there's misaligned expectations playing out. And we don't stop to say, well, how do you think it's supposed to be? And then let me share how I think it's supposed to be so we can see where we're misaligned. And then we get aligned and all of a sudden the project takes off and the team isn't working against itself. So that's the first thing, just try to prevent it. People don't wanna be in conflict. If you are, there is a reason. You gotta dive deep to try to find what's the core. So what do you think, before we jump into the second point, what do you think is a good way um, to allow people to communicate with one another to determine those expectations? I mean, is it as simple as having a meeting and say, here are my expectations, what are yours? To some extent, I think one thing you can do just even before you do that is the first thing is, is to realize that if you're rolling along with an issue and you, what happens is that we think we see it from our own perspective. So we think, okay, this is how I see it. This is how it is. And so we start making our case as to why we're right and someone else is wrong. And then we don't even open our minds to the fact that maybe they have a different perspective. And from that different perspective, they could actually be right as well as I'm right because issues are multidimensional. And so you've got to be able to almost see the whole thing before you know what you can do or what might be possible. But what happens is that we immediately judge that I'm right, you're wrong, let me make my case. We start with emails and e-missiles going off to people and we paper it up with all these letters and we end up talking at each other, never talking to each other. And I can guarantee that if you never agree on what the fundamental problem is, you are never going to agree on the solution. And that's what I see when I mediate in courts after projects have been going on for, they're, they're done for three to five years. And I'm listening to the teams tell me their problems. Well, the problem was X and that's why we had to do this and it cost us a fortune. No, the problem was Y and they shouldn't have done that. And, when they never even talk to each other enough to agree on the problem. So that's the first step. You got to talk to each other, listen, be bold, listen to each other, not make your case and understand the problem. Because if you can get there, it's probably 80% likely you'll create the solution and it'll be for the problem that really needs to get resolved. All right. So what happens if you can't, if you're having a hard time, even getting the other side to sit down and and talk to you. We've had situations where we need to get involved um, only to just have another group of people involved in the, uh, another face, another voice in the conversation to just move beyond the people that can't seem to talk to each other. Um, What do you think? I, I agree. Yeah, I agree. A, a neutral person can be magic, <laughs> especially when people are really entrenched because, you know, you're, you're, you're entrenched in it. You can't really see anymore. So you're, you're part of the problem now. It's hard to be part of the solution. So a third party coming in can have that fresh perspective and help the teams see what 
might be possible and where they're at. And a lot of times teams just can't do it for themselves. I agree 110% with that. You got to have help. So do you think that that's just a, a good, simple way to break the logjam? Just to offer, why don't we get a third party to come in and and mediate? I think it can be very helpful. And that's really what our facilitated partnering is. It's more, it's pretty informal uh, where the teams co-create the solutions. You create a forum where the teams can co-create a solution based on the dialogue they've had about what is fair and justifiable. So that's step two, right? So co-create the solution. Yes, that's step, that is the principle number two. People don't argue with what they help to create. So you need to create a forum that allows people to co-create. And so you can have the third party there, but have people in the room and give them a chance to actually be a part of developing the solution. Because when people help to co-create the solution, it's very durable. They actually do what they say they're going to do. And then the team also feels like we now know how to resolve our issue. And so when we have the next issue, they have a lot more feeling of confidence that they can resolve the next issue and the next issue and the next issue. And that's really what you're looking to do is create a pattern of resolution for these issues so that the team knows no matter what happens, we're going to get it resolved. So what is the best way to start implementing the co-creation of the solution? So we have a dispute, it's pending, people are emailing back and forth. Um, how do we, how do we get to the next step to start resolving that? What's, what's kind of a, uh, the first step in that process? I think the first step would be what you had said, decide first, are we so entrenched that we can't do this alone? Do we need, do we need a third party? Do we need a neutral person in the room to help us? That could be, it could be a lawyer. It could be a partnering facilitator, um, then after that, set up a time. And also, who do we need to have in the room? Because 50% of the success of any of these meetings is going to make sure you've got the people in the room you need that can make the decision and have it stick. For example, if this is way, you know, five grades above my pay grade, and the person who is the five grades above isn't in the room to agree on the solution, then will it oh, stick? Yeah. So you we see that make sure you've got the right we people see that in the room. all the time on our, on our end. Yeah. Um, and one of the things that I find that's very interesting is that even if that other person that's not in the room is available, because that's usually the the uh, the pushback. Oh no no no, so and so won't be at the the meeting or the mediation, but he or she is available by phone. Those people that don't participate in that process they they seem to not understand kind of how we got to where we are when we pick up the phone and call them to get their authority and they and and the the response we usually get is well i why why do we have to do that you know no the other side should pay us x hundreds of thousands of dollars i don't agree to that and they weren't there for the five back and forths with the other side and and so I always demand that if that if we're going to mediate a case, everyone that needs to be there needs to be in the room, because otherwise I feel like we're wasting our time. 
Exactly, because people don't argue with what they help to co-create. So if they aren't part of the co-creation, then they're not going to they're not going to understand, and they're not going to feel like they were party to what is fair. And so it's really so fifty percent is getting the right people in the room, making sure if you need a neutral, if you need it, that's that's great. Have it. If you don't need that, you think you can do it yourself, try. I really like the neutral personally. Uh, but I mean, I'm biased. So, cause I'm, I'm, a, I'm the neutral in the room. So I know how it works. Uh, I also think that, uh, you got to hold the meeting, set up a meeting, put it on the calendar, and then everyone commits to being there. And then I also like the teams to break down their issues into sub issues and tell me each side, tell me how, what do you think is a fair dollars and days resolution to these issues? So that I know that up front, kind of, I made them break it into sub-issues because then you can begin to resolve the issues one small issue at a time and not this big thing. Because I think that's what prevents a lot of resolution as well as it's, it's going to cost you, it's this big nebulous thing or it's so big and so intertwined and so convoluted that they, they just spin around. It's like an infinity loop. They just keep going round and round and round. So to stop that madness, I just break, break it down into what are the sub issues? What are the dollars? What are the days that you believe is fair? And then I can put that on a spreadsheet to show them both. So we're between this and this. So let's talk about it. What's fair? What's a fair way to resolve this? And I tell you, lock on wood, uh, in all of the, the hundreds of these I've done over the years, uh, no team is ever not resolved because it, inherently teams can figure out how to get to what is fair given the circumstance. So I have two questions for you. So question number one, mm -hmm. what do you think about using the architect or the engineer of record as the, let's call it facilitator? You know, sometimes we see that in AIA, uh, American Institute of Architects contracts, other forms of contracts will propose the design professional of record as the initial decision maker of disputes. Um, living through many of these, what is your thought? I have my personal opinion on that. Um, what do you think about that? Well, my experience is, is that doesn't very But it effective. is not, it is not very. It is not very effective because they are not neutral. They're not third parties. Uh, the locus of control for decision-making is usually not with them. Even during design, it's going to be the owner. And if it's design build, it may, it depends on, might be the contractor who has locus of control. So uh, it's, it hasn't, it hasn't played out to be all that effective yeah, what I've seen. Although you might, you might find a person that is like really extraordinary at this. I tend to agree with you. What I find is that they seem to do one of two things. One, sometimes I find that uh, the architect or engineer of record is hesitant to stick his or her neck out to say what he or she really feels about the situation because the parties in the in the room, he's, he or she still has to deal with going forward. That's number one. Number two, if they actually do that, um, if the if they side with the person that's paying the architect, um, the other side almost always believes that that's because that's where his or her bread is being buttered. 
So of course, that's why, whether that's true or not. And then it, it undercuts their perceived neutrality. Um, so I never find it mm-hmm. tremendously useful either. Um, and what we try to do when yeah. we review contracts, yeah, I, I wouldn't see that. When we review contracts, is we try to take that out, um, actually, because we find it to be not very useful. I think that's um, wise. So my other question for you is: yeah. uh, when you have these mediations, whether they're formal because they're uh, driven by the court, or informal because the parties have put this together and have selected you as the neutral, what is the biggest mistake that you see folks make when they come into that first meeting um, to try to resolve the dispute? Well, the biggest mistake would be that they don't have a clear idea on what they want or it's not justified by any kind of logical concepts. You know, I've seen, I've been through some of them where, and I feel really sorry for like a subcontractor who will pay a lot of money to some, like a claims expert to put together this binder of information about the claim because the sub doesn't really have the ability to do that much to do it as well as he thinks he should. But then the binder doesn't have a whole lot of relevancy to what really happened. And so they just hand this binder to the general contractor and the owner to look at. And when they go through it and ask questions, there's no, they can't answer anything like, well, why, why do you, why do we owe you this money? They can't explain the story as to why they can't justify it. And without justification, no owner, private or public, and no general contractor can pay you. So that's why I really believe in that process of kind of co-creating that. Tell us the story, what happened, what happened then, draw us pictures on the on the whiteboard, tell us what happened and then what happened, and show us in the spec what you're seeing, show us in the spec what you're seeing. Okay, can you see how someone might interpret those in those ways? Kind of the story and the dialogue so that you can come up with a fair uh, way to resolve it that everyone feels is justified. But that's the biggest mistake I see is that people don't really have a clear way of explaining what happened from their perspective. Instead, they try to make a case as to why you need to, why you owe me. And while you do need to know your numbers and you need to break them down, uh, you need to have a story because so much of the resolution of these things is really us creating a story together, a justification together. I remember working on some mediations of several of them over the years where you're dealing with a contractor who's maybe not as sophisticated as some others might be. And, you know, in a fairness standpoint, you don't want to just say, well, sorry, you just uh, don't have your act together enough for us to be able to pay you. That's that's not the right thing to do. So instead, we kind of work through the details of what happened so that the team can co-create a justification that they think is fair. And then we can actually create the documentation for that justification. And everyone knows that's fair because we've already worked through it. So we kind of do it backwards. And uh, so I think that that's the biggest thing I see is that 
we need to make sure that we're on the same page as to why this is justified because of what happened. The other thing I see is a lot of times people talk about, well, I'm delayed and, uh, and they just want to, they just want to resolve a delay claim, but you don't, you have to resolve all the issues that led to the delay in order to really begin to see why the delay occurred. And so I see that too. Uh, and I also see that a lot of times people will just say, it's going to cost you uh, without ever really uh, looking at what's the real technical issue that we need resolved, especially in the middle of a project, because we get involved right from the beginning and go all the way through the project. So in the middle of a project, somebody's just going to say, it's going to cost you. And you've probably seen this all the time. Teams spend months and weeks talking about, no, it's going to cost me. No, we can't agree on this dollar. Can't agree on that dollar. Meanwhile, the project is delayed because we can't make a decision. Bifurcated. Do what's the best technical solution here. And yes, you can do order of magnitude. This is a $10 change. This is a $100 change. This is a $1,000 change. Well, we can't afford the thousand, but between these two, which is the best technical? Well, let's go with that. And then you begin to talk about, okay, what's a fair distribution of responsibility given this um, solution? Do you find that the legal components um, play heavily in the resolution or do those issues, the legal issues, like the contract terms, um, at some point get pushed aside and, and it just focuses on morality and fairness more than what the contract says? Well, with what we do, because we're not attorneys and because we believe that the team needs to resolve it, we don't bring in the legal components. We just bring in what's fair. Now, that's not to say that we aren't aware of certain laws and case laws and things that have occurred that would give you guidance. And a lot of times we'll say, you know, why don't you check with your attorney on what they might say? and then bring that to back to the table so that we can have a, a meaningful conversation. But again, it's a, we're looking for what's fair and justifiable. And the justifiable might very well include some legal aspects. Yes. Um, I, I tell all of our clients that uh, we recommend that they try to resolve the case before they come to us. Um, and almost always we recommend that they be willing to consider uh, a resolution that they can just barely stomach um, so long as it brings finality um, to the situation rather than think that prolonging the dispute or proceeding with arbitration or litigation is somehow going to be better because it almost never is. Um, so I appreciate the uh, advice you've given about ways to resolve disputes because I, I like you, agree that, um, that, the, that the resolution of the dispute and putting it behind you is worth far more than the prospect of, let's just call it, knocking it out of the park, which in my line of work happens occasionally, but... At some point, we usually find that people get tired and they resolve their case through some type of negotiated settlement later. Um, had they done it earlier, they may have been better off. Do you see the same thing? 
Yes, 97% of all issues are gonna get resolved anyway. But think about this, after the project is done, okay, then you're just really arguing about dollars. But when you're in the middle of the project, the impact on your productivity and the risk to the whole project is exponential. So we've got to resolve them as they come, get them behind us, work together and keep it going so that you don't impact your momentum and that you can have a predictable outcome on your project. These things completely undermine us so that we can't have successful projects. And that's really my commitment and goal is to help projects be successful. We want them to be on time or on budget or better, and hopefully unleash the collective wisdom of the team to create some extraordinary things on that project. Like, what are you going to do that's completely never been done before? And teams get so excited about that. When, when you kind of let them run, then they do and fat, they go faster, better, they're smarter, and they create things that are just really magnificent. And that's what excites me about unleashing the power of the team on the project. That's fantastic. And with that, I think that's a great place to, to end the podcast. Sue, how can folks get a hold of you if they want to learn more about um, you and your uh, problem solving skills? Well, they can uh, always email me at Sue Dyer, S-U-E-D-Y-E-R, at orgmet, O-R-G-M-E-T.com. I'm also on LinkedIn. And if you want to listen to some people who are doing these things with us, you could listen to my podcast, Construction Dream Team. And that comes out how often? It comes out right now every Monday at 4 a.m. Pacific time. Fantastic. Yeah, uh, we, I, I know that the folks that listen to our podcast uh, are usually uh, pretty fanatical about listening to other podcasts. So I'm sure that they can, uh, they will enjoy yours. I've, I've listened to the last several episodes um, and found it very useful, including that resource page that's on your website. Can you talk about that? Yes. So one of the things that we've been doing is we ask every one of our wonderful guests, including Alex, to share a gift with the listeners something that they think could help them to improve their projects or in whatever the topic was that the guest was talking about. And so we have put all of those onto our resource page as a gift to everyone. So you can just go to constructiondreamteam.com slash resources and you have everything that anyone has ever shared to help your projects to be successful right there on one page. Fantastic. Again, Sue, thank you very much for all your time. Um, and everyone will uh, post this right away and have uh, another podcast up soon. Thanks again, Sue. Thank you, Alex, so much.